produced by Ranting Rhino Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everyone, welcome back to the uh, Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, touched base with each other. We've had some holidays come into into the fray. We've had some uh, extenuating circumstances that have just been gobbling up all of our time. But this episode is so cool because we were blessed with the opportunity to have Jeannie Cockle and Joan MacArthur Blair join us on the podcast. So we sat down and we talked about the book a little bit. We talked about their experiences and leadership in higher education. And specifically, we wanted to talk about chapters five and six. So we touched on that a little bit. And then about halfway through the episode, they had to leave, which was totally cool. And then the three of us, Sally, Lucy, and I continued on the conversation of chapter five and chapter six. So we hope you really enjoy this episode and a big shout out and a big thank you again to Jeannie and Joan for taking time out of their life to come and be a part of this podcast. We loved it. We love your book. We hope you enjoy this episode. Catch you on the other side. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It's been a minute since we've uh, released an episode. It's been a while. Um, Some of us have been on holidays. Some of us have been working our tails off because, you know, COVID's changing and the restrictions are being lifted. We're all cheering about that. And uh, pretty soon, Lucy, I think we'll be able to see each other face to face. We haven't seen each other in what, two years? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's been nearly two years. Yeah, and Sally too, I think. Well, and yeah. So yeah, I know. I've never met, I've never met Chad in the flesh. We connected like through, you know, COVID, through just having this common goal and common ideas, and um, so yeah, so crazy. Yeah, one of the few. <laughs> one of the few. Oh, here we go. I'm so excited. I don't know. Um, I'm sure Sally, Lucy, you're excited too. We have some very special guests with us today because everyone knows we've been going through appreciative inquiry in higher education second edition a transformative force by Jeannie Cockle and Joan MacArthur Blair and it is I don't know it's it's a I, I can't say it enough it's just an absolute pleasure to have the both of you with us on our podcast um your book is amazing and and all that and uh, I I'm just I'm I'm just well I'm sitting in awe I'm just so happy to see you both um and uh, <laughs> for those of you, for those of you who don't know what was going on before this, there was a whole bunch of talking going on, and I wanted to grab it so before we started. But um, let let me ask the first question, uh, and then then we'll just get into it, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, Jeannie and Joan, you were talking before off air uh, a little bit about the book before this one. Uh, that's an expansion of a chapter. Um, so, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I have something to say first. Like, I, I, uh, I am so happy to be here because I've been listening to your podcast and it's really amazing to listen to people take ideas you put on paper and play with them. It is like the thing that makes an author come to life to listen to other people chat about their ideas and play with them. And so I'm really excited to be here. And of course, really excited to be here because I know all three of you and, uh, uh, spent a big part of my career, of course, at Vancouver Community College. And so it's uh, it's amazing to be with you. So I wanted to say that first. Oh, ditto. I mean, I just fell in love with you all listening to your podcast uh, because you are just so engaged and excited. And I ditto what Joan says about it makes us just feel like, well, maybe it was worth all that work we did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and we're so passionate about higher ed uh, and to bring and appreciative inquiry and to bring it actually into which we think is just such a powerful and we still that's our work right yeah. well some of our work but really we love working with higher ed institutions and and seeing it happen and people going whoa and just kind of turning themselves over their head over heels uh, and you've told some stories about that in your podcast about how that's happened to you and so mm-hmm. that's just really exciting for us oh i feel honored by you oh. well thank you <laughs> how, how we, how we we've got, got some great co-hosts 
<laughs> yeah, the three of you are great. How we got to the, the building resilience from the Appreciative Inquiry book, which uh, was published after the first edition of Appreciative Inquiry in Higher Education, is it really came from a lifelong fascination mm -hmm. with what allows us um, as human beings, as leaders, as educators, to be resilient in the day-to-day -day of our lives. And so you'll see that, and particularly tonight's topic in the uh, uh, Chapter 5 Alive model, this notion of, of utilizing strengths in that appreciative inquiry way to, to focus on, on a resilience practice. But we were fascinated by this, and we wanted to talk to leaders about being resilient. And so the, the building resilience with appreciative inquiry book is really about, within the context of appreciative inquiry, how do you cultivate hope in a hopeful view? How do you use your strengths in times of despair or in times of challenge? And how do you undertake the will to forgive when you find yourself in those places where you can't manifest what you want or you can't um, uh, fit within the system at the moment? And so, so, so that, that second book uh, was a powerful piece of work for us in talking to leaders about resilience. And for me, I've been fascinated with resilience for years and years and years. Uh, but why don't you tell the story about how, as we worked with the, the, the first edition of Appreciative Inquiry in Higher Education, lots of people came to us after workshops we did on Appreciative Inquiry to talk with us about resilience kinds of issues. Well, we, yeah, because as we use the book that you've read, you know, the first edition over the years, and, and we realized that there was a level at which people were getting to, and they said, does this already always happen? This kind of thing about beyond the, uh, you know, strategic planning or team building or academic planning or whatever it was we were doing with, um, with departments in higher education, especially. I mean, we're, we work with other organizations, but that's our predominant clientele. And they were really talking about being different and being able to move on in whatever challenges, because there's always challenges. And it's about being able to move on with their lives, to be resilient. And we thought, wow, there's something here to be taking appreciative inquiry into the resilience world. And we called it appreciative resilience. And now that's a big chunk of our work that actually employs all of the things that are in the book that you've been reading and broadens it to a bigger spectrum because the leaders we interviewed, some were higher education leaders and many were. So we brought it, we brought it to the world rather than setting it in a particular context of higher ed. Mm -hmm. And if I can just add to that, not only have you brought it to the world, you've made it so accessible as in the, the language that you use and, and the, you know, the authenticity that just is just like ripples throughout the, the, you know, the whole book makes it so accessible. It doesn't feel like it's something, you know, <laughs> that some other people have been able to perfect this style of leadership. I think this speaks to so many people on so different levels. Um, no matter where they are in that leadership journey. And I love that you identify leaders as a friend of mine, actually, Kathleen Waterland, she talks about eye leaders and these little eye leaders all throughout mm -hmm. higher education. And, you know, so, some of the most incredible leadership is in the hands of those that don't carry the mm -hmm. title and they don't have it. And you speak to this as well. And, and that's what, Really, really, um, I guess I'm just absolutely loving about it that this isn't this isn't about a fix it. This isn't a book on leadership that's all about fixing things. It's about a leadership journey, and it's not a short term journey. Like I love that your stories span like many, many years and many different experiences. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, sorry, sorry. I, I wanted to say that I agree with the stories piece that that really um, it laid a lot of me. Nothing, nothing in this book is prescribed. You know, it, it's come to you through um, your experience, through your stories. And I think that's why it means so much to us, because it's lived experience. 
and it's stuff that you've learned through that. And that's what appreciative inquiry is. I mean, it's something, it's not something you can just do and turn on and off at a meeting or a, you know, at a conference or through a project it, it's lived and it, you show you, you practice that through the book. I think that's why it's so powerful. It's why it's so powerful to me. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that we structure chapter six around a series of leadership questions. Is that, you know, I think in some ways, um, it's not necessarily easy, but we want to attach to those, you know, steps, you know, those things I can do by next Tuesday. And the more and more Jeannie and I study leadership and write on leadership, the more we find power in questions. Questions that allow leaders to reflect on what they can do and might do, what they might think. Because if we think in those deep questions is that well of strength that leaders work. And you know, Sal, you were talking about, you know, how we were uh, inclusive of leaders. And both Jeannie and I profoundly believe that leader really is defined by anyone who is willing to work in the service of others, regardless of what it says on their business card, that those people lead organizations. Mm-hmm. When I was at Vancouver Community College, I was called a shit disturber. I was proud of that. I think I was a department chair at the I time. I don't know what so- you're talking about. I've never been called that, ever. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, one of the things I love about the culture of BCC, and I've only, I mean, Joan, I, I can't, you know, I can't let this moment pass. As you know, you were, um, I've told you this story before, but you were my first instructor in the PIDP program. And it was in uh, Courtney. And I think it was back in like 97. And I Ooh. was absolutely terrified. I was a new adult immigrant, Canada, new to teaching. And I didn't understand a word that was going on in the class about curriculum, pedagogy. And I remember it was confluent confluent objectives. And I think you have to be the most patient person on this earth because you tried every way possible to help me grasp what this concept was. And then in the end, she said, you know, I'm going to ask everybody, does anybody in this class have an idea how maybe they could help Sally understand this? And they did. Somebody started talking about the rivers when the tributaries joined together. And But the thing that I'm mentioning this for is because that's the, I, I read the part about, you know, having these ghosts that walk with you that you've been pivotal in changing their lives. And I think about that moment because had, had you not been there, and I mean, there's other fabulous instructors that change lives every day, but this is the, this is why we, we need to be so mindful, so reflective and, and really to the level of metacognitive like reflection, not just glancing back because we, we do, we do hold people's lives. We can transform their lives or we can um, actually put a real sort of hard line in front of them. And so I think this is why, again, your work is so valuable and reading this, having, yeah, just having access to your experiences um, yeah, is, is incredible. Yeah. I would round that out by saying that, um, chapter six has been probably one of the best chapters for me. Uh, I, I love leadership and studying leadership for a long time, been leading for a long time, leading poorly for a long time. <laughs> uh, and then was first introduced to an appreciative query approach back in my master's degree at Royal Roads and came across Shine's work of humble inquiry. And, and then of course, dove into a Greenleaf's servant leadership. And those things just kind of melded for me. And then when I came across your definition for leadership in chapter six, uh, I'm going to start using that in, in courses that I teach because up to this point, I've been saying, you know, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And, you know, the old adage that if no one's following you, you're not really leading. Right. But I, I really loved your, your, perspective on leadership and that it's, it's a service, right? And that we're doing this role, not just for the greater good, but for those in the good and being of service to them. And that really resonated with me. So 
I wanted to say a big thank you for including that in chapter six, because it was, it was just one more of those, aha, I'm on the right track. I'm on the right path. This is, this is confirming for me a lot of things that I already feel inside in my own value system when it comes to leading and serving others. So just wanted to add that and say, thank you for, for putting that in your book. Well, this idea that, you know, leadership is not for the faint of heart, you know, it's not easy. It's complex and challenging and wonderful and magnificent mm -hmm. in 60 second increments, you know, it's, it, and so, um, you know, you, Tim, you talk about, you know, your, your own study of leadership. Mine is the same. It's like a lifetime of study, resilience and leadership, those two things. You know, I think on the day before I die, I'm still going to be asking myself questions about what are the what are these things and how is it that people undertake this work? And for me, you know, the notion of being present and authentic, you know, and that's when you talk about the stories and when our writing, you know, sometimes it feels kind of scary. And when I, you know, reread it and go, wow, yeah, oh, my God, did we actually tell us? <laughs> but I think. That has to be for that has to be prominent in our interrelations with each other is that we actually are who we are and we tell those stories from those perspectives because that allows other people to be fully present in that way of interacting with each other. And, and so then you can lead together because you're there, right? People are there. And whether it's in the classroom leading students or whether it's with colleagues or whatever it is, um, if you don't actually act in an authentic way where you're fully present with your stories because stories really reach people um and that's what appreciate inquiry is founded on too it's founded on stories right it's a narrative approach to inquiry right but it's a narrative approach that looks at appreciating what is whatever that is the good the best the better whatever but it also means the challenges right appreciating that all of those too it doesn't let go of any of that I love what you did with critical AI in chapter four. Like you really got it. So that's a passion and a real passion of ours too, is the whole notion of, especially in these times with anti-racism and all various things, you know, I mean, 215 children's bodies were found in Kamloops, right? I mean, this is a huge piece of our world that is finally coming to the fore that we have to actually appreciate what has happened in order to make a significant difference, not just words, but to act in relationship to that, to make a better world. I mean, I think that's what all of us are about, is really to make a better world. Mm -hmm. And your vulnerability comes through as mm -hmm. well. I think, yeah. you know, in keeping with that acknowledging and um, as you say that right now with the recent um, you know, findings at Kamloops and these 215 children's bodies that, that have really, um, you know, the Indigenous people said, we didn't need the, this evidence. We knew all along the difference is now, you know, you know, this is what's happening right now. Um, and, and I think that for me, one of the things is that your book, Appreciative Inquiry, actually allows me to, um, to cope in these situations in a way. And just like you said, asking questions. And when I say cope, it's not as if I like I know what to do now, but it's like, okay, in the situations where you have no prior experience, you don't know what to do. This like learning this, it's a, it's a way of being that seems so human. So it's leadership and, 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 you know, humanity coming together with these values. And I think that that's what for me keeps you know, growing throughout the book, you haven't like identified the values and say, said, oh, you know, these are the values, their core values. We're going to put those to the front and then sort of lost sight of them. They just keep growing as you get further through the book. I, I do have a question though, if that's okay. Just a quick question. 
So I know you mention in, I think, in, in chapter five and chapter six, there's sort of mention of those moments where, you, you know, it's been difficult to have that positive outlook. Do you recall, like maybe going back 20 years, do you recall sort of the, the, the sort of the process you had to go through that self-reflection, that metacognition to stop those negative or those, you know, those assumptions coming to the front first before you had to then say, whoa, hang on a minute, let's look at where's the strength here. Yes, I still do that practice because it doesn't, it's not, that's why we call this resilience practice, appreciation practice, appreciation outlook of practice because let me tell you, over the last year, you know, I've been practicing that a lot. So it's not something that, you know, 20 years ago I learned to do and now I can do it. It's like, <laughs> well, you have a, you learn a lot all the time. You're constantly learning and relearning. And, you know, it's like the whole venturing and evolving. You're always evolving. But underneath that is a constant practice of catching yourself and saying, wait a minute now, can I reframe here? Can I? look at you know like last year when uh, all of our travel we travel a lot to do stuff all over the place and suddenly we weren't going to san diego in april so what were we going to do instead well that was a training that was an appreciation course which we love to do and so we said well what could we do well we could do what we've been wanting to do with the company and experts uh, center for appreciation inquiry who we who hire us to actually make it virtual, like, but we've never got around to doing that because, and so Joan and I offered to be the content folks, and we're just writing an article that's going to be in the next Appreciation Inquiry Practitioner Journal. No, it's in the November one, coming up, right, in November. And uh, writing about that whole experience last year of doing that, we worked so hard on all of them. Yeah, we're old ladies here, and we're having to reinvent in our heads. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, my God, to learn the Zoom, the learning management. I I love it. And I love that you say that because uh, uh, Lucy, Tim and I and, and Chad, our other friend that joins us um, from time to time, or he did before he nipped over to Medicine Hat College there. But we talk, uh, you know, we talk about these kind of things, um, you know, on a regular basis. And, and I think that um, just having you here, having you in this conversation is just going to really I think it it does give us you know hope of that constant evolving like um with COVID with the challenges of COVID and it's so many strengths have come out of it it seems like those of us that have actually had this experience I think that not that you would wish the pandemic on anybody, but the opportunity that's come out of it has been huge. And one of the things that keeps coming forward is we, we've, we've talked about it a lot, is Prensky's notion, um, I forget what his name was, is it Dan Prensky, who was the digital immigrants and digital natives, and speaking about that. And you know, my husband came up with the whole idea the other day about, he said, yeah, no, no, it, being a digital being is being willing to be a landed immigrant in the digital world. And I love that you say, you know, there you were learning Zoom and putting together these workshops um, because this is part of this evolving and growing and not limited by what you've done before having the mindset that, you know, encourages you to change those ways. And when we, when we developed the alive model, they, that looks at, uh, appreciate love and acquire and venture and evolve. We spend a lot of time on this idea of venturing and evolving that we actually don't know in life what will happen. You know, we can undertake those first three things to appreciate, uh, to, uh, love and acquire in order to venture and evolve, but we don't know where that actually is going. We don't know what that will be. And in our resilience work, particularly recently, we've been writing a fair bit about, sometimes you just have to abide in the challenge. It's not like you can make it go away. You just 
have to kind of use your daily strengths to abide in your challenge for a while. Like I often jokingly say that, you know, despair is like a bad house guest. It comes, it lives in your house, eats your food, doesn't do their laundry as a slob and refuses to leave. And sometimes, you know, we just have to abide in those really challenging times. We don't get to, to say, oh, it's going to go away or I'm going to make it go away because it actually doesn't. And so we need that strength to stay in that place with it. And COVID has provided us that challenge worldwide. And so yeah. it's been a phenomenal learning experience and not very easy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Before, before I'm going to I feel so starstruck. Like, I don't want to talk because I just want to listen to Jeannie and Joan talk. Uh, Lucy it's has like never been this quiet. No, I'm just like, I'm just looking at you both like, oh, I just want to get into your heads, like into your minds. Um, I just think it's, there's so many things that pop up, like when you've been talking and when you were talking about Chad and he, we were talking about, um, about leadership and, and, and a lot of chapter six kind of, um, it reminds me of that conversation because, uh, we were talking about just kind of revisioning where we are. It's such so messy right now. It can be so messy. And he he asked me, you know, what is your highest point of contribution? And and think about that. And you can really then realign, you know, where you stand, what what has always followed you. He asked me this, he was like, what has always followed you um in in your jobs as a as a department head, as um as a skin therapist, as a, an instructional associate, as a as a friend, as a colleague, as a mum, you know, what has always followed you and um and you know and, and when people say oh you're an, you know you're a natural leader it's like no there's no, nothing natural about it like it's hard freaking work and but you really have mm-hmm. to just you know be able to um you have there has to be certain values that th- that flow through you in order for you to 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 find that piece of light as you're moving forward and you know when you talk in chapter six about about leadership you know darkest nights and and you know what can be your greatest strengths like i really think that people should be asking themselves like you know these types of questions and and what you bring because you know when i try and explain this concept to people that have never really heard of it they they see me as an optimist so they're like oh well you always see you know you always see that the glass is half full you're an optimist like you know, your outlook on life um, is very optimistic, and and um, you know I I can I can work through that project and actually get through it. And sometimes it is very difficult. You could be very innovative and you could be very creative and optimistic, but bringing people with you is is the hardest thing. You know, for me, it's, it sometimes can be the hardest thing to do to just make them realize that. You know that that there is there is so much beauty and hope and things that we can gather, and um, and so I just felt like I just had to say that because so much of what you talk about in your experiences and your points, like they just resonate so deep, um, and um, and I think like you know they are they are really needed now, and I think people that work in our circles really need to pick up this book for you know for those reasons to remind themselves like you know, why they're doing it and, and, and their lived experience will help them through, you know, some of these darkest nights. So it's, it's pretty epic. So yeah, I am being, I am being quiet, but I just think I don't want to use up your time because you're, yeah, just like listening to hear, hearing about your, your thoughts. It's amazing. Oh, and Lucy, uh, you know, you were saying how you could see me when I said I was a shit disturber. You know, I can see you because we we just live and we don't and we're kind of surprised that pe- other people don't live like this in some ways. I mean, I don't know whether you're like that, but I'm kind of like that. So, um, but it is a practice. Like we, I have my some of my lowest of my lows, and I have to get get up and have a practice of well, how do I shift that? Because I know how to do this, and 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 I love the notion of what you say is you have your like, core values, right? That you that's what you're living around. So it's keeping in touch with those that keeps keeps us going right there's people that look like optimists and you know all that kind of stuff but you know we are and if we practice it right i'm sure you do you practice it you you inquire into that you're fascinated by this book because you're you know like you're my people you, this is the same thing and that question you know um what follows you, right? 
And, uh, you know, Sally was telling a story uh, earlier about me and her in a classroom, right? And it is one of the things for me as a leader. I mean, I got to do one of everything in higher education from faculty to president to consultant now and just have lived the grandest life. But what follows me is every once in a while, I had a moment of leadership that actually impacted somebody else's life. And if I'm really lucky, I get to hear that moment. And oh, like, you know, you think you wish for that for every single leader in higher education. That somebody comes along and says, you know what? A whack of years ago, you said something. And so that's so powerful in leadership and the practice of leadership. But every once in a while, something follows you. And that is extraordinary. And sometimes it's things we never think follow us. Mm -hmm. And then follows you, but also ripples out from you. Mm Because that's the other piece here, isn't it, as well? But, you know, I think that, like, Tim, Lucy, and I, what we're learning even from, you know, from your book, not even from your book, from your book, will ripple out in our practice. Mm -hmm. Um, The same as, um, Joan, when I first met you, the way you shaped my understanding of what it meant to teach and what it meant to learn probably you know, most likely has shaped my whole teaching career. Um, And so that's the other, you know, piece of the puzzle that there's, yeah, there will be many lives that you've really had influence on. And many of those folks you would never even know. But, um, you know, I think, like you say, that is a value. And that's so different. That's so different to ego. Because I think there's, you know, when we think about ego and leadership and, and, you know, a different model of leadership when someone has held sort of power and, and I don't know what it feels like to hold power, to be quite honest, although I do recognize that as a, you know, a white female that I hold, you know, a level of privilege and that is power. Um, But in the higher education world, I've never held that title of power or wanted to hold a role that was transactional. But I wonder what it I wonder what that feels like. I mean, we're talking about here the the you know, the ripple out effect on influence on people's lives, those people that you know that you may have worked around significant barriers for them and had provided them with pathways that where education has changed their lives. But I wonder what it feels like when, if you are in a transactional leadership role, and you do speak about this slightly, but maybe you could add a little bit more about it, when budgets are severely cut, and we may see that within the next couple of years with the current financial situation for higher education, um, I think all across the country, but maybe globally. And when you have to make cuts that do, um, you know, cause major significant roadblocks for students, have you been in those kind of situations? And, and, and what would you say about, you know, your core values there where you know those actions have got consequences for many people? Can I answer first? You want me to? Well, I was just thinking about how you can shift the conversation because my experience in administrative roles in higher ed have been that people don't actually talk about the budget in an open and honest way, right? And sometimes you just have to get that shift happening because I remember at Vancouver Community College, I brought in my magic wand. Remember my magic wand? It actually doesn't exist anymore because in that car accident got so badly bashed eventually had to give it up. But the magic is really just shifting people and allowing them to be fully present with each other and authentically present. That's magic, right? And sometimes you just bring something silly into a budget meeting, which I I did and let the vice president of finance use it because I said, well, it will help with this meeting to get people to actually talk to each other. People started to laugh and then just kind of let go and said, okay, then what are we really talking about here? 
So it's it's really just like being in any situation when you're working with people to have them connect to one another authentically. I think that's the starting place in any sort of tough budget situation is to just honestly and to have people talk about it in terms of what it really is rather than arguing, I want this much and you can't have that much because you you had that much last time. And silly stuff, right? They need to actually be much more authentic about what it means to do this and what other alternatives, what are the opportunities I mean, like COVID, the opportunities were, well, we would go online more or something. But, well, these are all possibilities that we have, well, we tried before, we've done Zoom and stuff before, but we had never done it to this level, right? And so we were lucky because we had the privilege of having a background. We work from home as well as travel. So for us, it you know really wasn't that big a deal as some people, right, who had to leave their institutions and then pick up something totally new. But in budget and tough times i think i think that appreciate inquiry approach of you know just the really working with people to say you know be authentic together and say what you really need and sometimes it's just a little laughter as you get started into it and not take it so seriously well and i think in leadership it's not written about very much and it's not something i've written about very much because i haven't kind of managed to wrap my mind around it but I think one of the complexities of leadership is when you arrive at the day that you realize you're about to betray somebody you deeply care about. And by betray, I mean, like, you're not going to lie to them, none of that. Yeah. But they look to you as someone who would take them someplace on a journey along with them, working with them. And if you have to turn to them and say, you can no longer be at the institution because of budget reasons. Fundamentally, as a leader, you've chosen the institution over the individual, which you know is kind of part of that whole leadership thing. But that is a deep leadership reckoning. When you realize that space you're in as a leader and that you actually regardless of your principles and values, cannot keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm. That you cannot care for each individual always. And that's a deep reckoning for leadership. And I think it's a deep reckoning, and it's not the same kind of reckoning that some individual is going through that suddenly is without work, mm -hmm. right? I mean, one is kind of a philosophical reckoning, and one is like, you just sent me home. And so I think yeah. to, to not um, ever forget that individuals are being impacted by budgets. And so those are it's 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 really complex, I think, that space of leadership around budgeting and making choices and those kinds of things. And it's um, it's not simple work. And every time I've had to do it in my career, I reminded myself that. The decisions I made were impacting individuals and families, and was I really having to make this decision? Um, so, anyway, we should go. The human dimension. This is the human dimension. Really, yeah. is what we're talking about. I think that's what appreciation inquiry brings in. I mean, there's all, all sorts of tools and trips to, to leading and all that, and organizing and all that, but the focus on really listening to the stories, um, really focusing on the human dimension of what can shift people and organizations as individuals, as groups, whatever. I think that is the piece within all of these other things that we often, as I was trying to say, we, lock, we lose touch with this human dimension when we're in budget meetings or whatever. But we also lose touch of, okay, acts, 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 because this has to go because that, as Joan was saying, well, but yes, you have to keep in touch with those people in the sense of what can we do to support and care, right? This is the love part of the alive model, right? Appreciate the love. And the love we found is so many people have attached to that because it's a four-letter word that we don't actually use very much because it's like, what? Love? You know, we're going to talk about that in an organization? So, you know, but that love word is about the support of each other, 
the love of self, of others, that human dimension of no matter what we're going through, what those challenges are, what is it we are caring for and how do we get cared for ourselves? So that's our passion, isn't it, Tom? It is. Well, you certainly have brought the magic and the hope to this conversation, just as we um, anticipated you would. Really so, is. So we're going to leave you and let you. No. <laughs> no. Let, let him have his first question. I mean, let him get in here. I it's the way it goes. I do a lot of listening and a lot of a lot of reflecting. Um, Joan and, and Jeannie, thank you again so much for be, taking your time out of your life to be here with us to to share in this conversation. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your book. Um, you have impacted a lot of people, the three here notwithstanding. Um, and I know that as we continue to practice uh, this this framework, uh, you will impact others through our work. And one thing that came to mind is as you were talking about the leadership and and um, the complexity of it is, I, th- I think as 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 quote unquote good leaders, we try we strive to have an impact and an influence. And, and we try to do that through servant leadership and through humility. Um, and I think sometimes people mistake our driving and our striving to take the stage rather than we drive and we strive so we can sit in the front row and watch others. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's something that, that I, I have a hard time communicating to others as I drive and strive in my leadership roles and try to balance the relationship and the humanity with the FTE numbers and, (laughs) you know, and, and that hard reality that sometimes faces us when we have to make those tough decisions. And, and I don't know if anybody can really understand those situations until they've been in it. Um, And I know through your work and through the work that we're doing at each of our institutions, we're trying to communicate that. And so, uh, I, I'm not going to speak for, for Lucy and Sally, but I'm going to say on behalf of the podcast, thank you so much for this book. It's, it's a, it's a pleasure to read. Uh, sometimes it, it pokes in the heart, which I think is good. Uh, and it gives us a bit of a kick in the butt, which is good too. And we, and I'll, and I use this word intentionally. We love you both for the work that you do. We love this book for the impact that it's having. And, and we hope that you will continue giving to the community so that we can continue to learn with you as you continue on. So thank you for taking the time. And thank you. And we hope you read our Building Resilience book with appreciative inquiry. It's on my list. <laughs> and, and just on that note, I thought I would leave you with uh, a poem that comes out of this book, the Resilience book. Joan's poems start every chapter. And, Joan is a wonderful poet. And this is particularly for you, Lucy, and this notion of of being an optimist, My beautiful friend, Hope, you point me toward the sun, you shelter me in the rain, you trumpet my successes and hold me in my sorrow, ever whispering, rise up, rise up. Is that what that optimism is saying to people? And you as a leader say, people, rise up. Come with me. Rise up. So, folks, we're going to leave you. This has been amazing. We love you, podcast. I wasn't going to cry. I wasn't going to cry in this. I wasn't going to cry, but, um, yeah, needed to hear that this week. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Tim. Lucy and Sally, you are amazing to be able to carry on this work. I mean, as you say, it amplifies. We we just got to all do this. We all got to get this work out there it's wonderful and we're big fans of your podcast yeah. so we can't wait to what, what you do next after you finish this book we're what you're really saying that we're, we're we're fans now so you know we're up there. okay good deal good deal thanks so much have a great bye. evening bye and so it's at this point that uh 
Jeannie and Joan left the podcast and we again we are so thankful for them being a part of the show and all the insights that they brought and uh, we just loved our conversation with them so now at after this break we continue on Lucy Sally and I continue on talking about chapter five and chapter six but this could be an opportunity for you to tell us what you would want to hear on the podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'd love it if you'd pass the word on to others about this podcast and feel free to reach out to us and let us know what you think. Perhaps you know someone who might want to be a guest on the show or topics you would love us to dive into and spend some time together within those topics. So thanks again for listening. And you can contact us through the website, praxispedagogy.com, or you can catch us on the socials. Uh, We'll be listed in the show notes. Thanks very much. Now for the rest of the show. Okay, cry time. Oh, beautiful. So inspiring. Absolutely so inspiring. Yep. And I know in life things find you when you need them, but oh my goodness. You know, one thing we, we didn't really get around to, one thing that I was going to mention is how I first um, connected with this book. And mm. it was quite simply, um, it was... The three first 100 copies were being, I think it was on LinkedIn or something. And I clicked it and I remember we were chatting about what you're reading. And I think I was halfway through the first chapter and I knew that I needed the hard copy of this book. And (laughs) it's almost, do you remember me saying a few, like it was like three or four podcasts ago and I said appreciative inquiry is like a gift, not a, no, you're not literally a gift, but a, a philosophical gift. And I think now, honestly, like mm-hmm. for people in your life, people that you see starting their careers in, you know, higher education and you watch them trying to navigate different systems, like this could be the, the welcome gift, the welcome gift, just dig into this as the, your, you know, your career continues here and I guarantee yeah. you're going to find something that's going to help you navigate the systems. Yeah. I love that. I love that notion, Sally, like that's such a good idea. And when, and when Tim was talking to you about, um, you know, driving, driving the bus and, to, and I just feel like, you know, it's such a good point too, because that's why I, I don't like people say, Oh, you know, you trailblaze in this or you do. I'm like, no, I just drive the bus and let everyone off and go, you know, like, drive the bus, open the doors so that they, you know, so people can, you know, figure stuff out. But, but if any way that you can kind of support and help others just be better, do better, like, like that's right. Like you don't need the stage. You just want to be in the front row watching, watching those people just mm-hmm. do great things and be incredible. And I just, I love that. Yeah. I think for me, I put the new bus route in. Like I'm definitely the grassroots, you know, kind of leadership. And, and I know there's buses taking folks everywhere, but it's kind of like where there's no bus going there. There's these folks that are, you know, and that's kind of, you know, I think where I see that opportunity and optimism and I, and just recognizing those strengths um, but it's interesting. It's interesting to hear Jeannie say that she she too has to keep reframing. Like I, you know, my day yeah, started. At, yeah, my day started at six this morning, and I've got a workshop that I'm delivering tomorrow morning at six thirty to Kenya. And um, you know, and and about ten minutes into it, Ali, was I, that Kenya? I, Kenya. You oh, said. Did I mention oh, Kenya? Kenya. Yeah, Kenya? I might have okay, mentioned brilliant. it. Yeah. 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 Just so, so, you know, um, um, but about 10 minutes into it, I had to go and get a book or something from somewhere else. And I found myself thinking, Oh my goodness, why am I so slow at doing all of this stuff? Like this is taking me forever. And then I'm just like, isn't it incredible that these projects provide opportunities to learn new stuff every time, which is obviously going to take more time than stuff that you've done before, but they, and just catching yourself. And I just think that that that's one of those surrounding yourself by people that do acknowledge, yes, this is, this is tough. This is going to be challenging, but yet 
like having that the chance of reframing. Yeah, I really like that. And and one of the things that I got out of chapter five was the shape shaped by suffering. And and Sally, this is kind of what you're talking about in regards to having to learn stuff and do and build all these workshops. And you know, none of it comes easy. Like we may know certain parts of it and we nail it down, but you know, to put the whole thing together, that's a lot of work. We're doing it all, you know, mostly on our own. And, you know, it's on our shoulders to not only build it, but then deliver it and all the peripherals that go with that. Right. And every time, every time we do those things, there's a certain level of suffering that's involved in that, right. Whether it's mental, you know, intellectual, spiritual, sometimes physical, because you're, you know, you're, you're staying up late, getting up early, you're doing all the hard work. Um, but that's really where the learning is, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's really where you not only learn more material, but you, I think more importantly, you learn about yourself and, and you start, and this is what I really love about doing stuff like that is I begin to learn where my boundaries really are. And then I'm encouraged to push and then to push my boundary and push it a bit more and expand it and push and grow. Um, do I get tired? Yeah. Come on. We're all tired. Right. But <laughs> we are right. Yes. But but there's, there's parts of me that go, you know what, this has got to get done, buckle down, do it. And sure enough, uh, yeah. you learn stuff through that. But, and like you just said about the boundaries or don't do it. That's the other piece, isn't it? As well. I think that is a strength realizing what is of value, what is worth getting up for at six in the morning and staying up late for and recognizing, like you say, it is a lot of work if you haven't done that before. And yet, if you can see through that, yes, but I don't want to keep doing things that I've done before. Like, you know, you're energized by doing these different things, but by doing different things, even though you're energized by them, they're going to take a lot of energy to do as well, aren't they? Yeah. Right. And and that's where you, you do the ROI. You couldn't, you do the quick ROI on this and go, is it worth my time to do this? Um, is it worth me getting into it? Uh, you know, knee deep, sometimes neck deep. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of it is that you're like, Hmm, okay, I'll do this. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I'll do it. And at the end of it, you look back and you go, I, I, I love that experience. Mm-hmm. And can't wait for the next one. That sounds like a PhD. Yeah, we go. Well, you know, but I I think too, though, I think one of the things, um, and it is that, you know, you have a, have a good team of collaborators that you work with, you you know, you find your people that push you along So you know, and and I think people that are trying to do it on their own and be a standalone person, that's where the exhaustion comes in because, you know, it's hard when you're just trying to, you know, be everything yourself and, and it's, and it's hard to find people that are like-minded and people that can pursue you, help pursue your ideas to pursue what you're doing, or even say like what you said, Sally, to say, you know, these are your boundaries. Like you don't need to go here like this, you know, and help to kind of, when you're in the thick of something, it's really hard for you to kind of really reframe. And mm-hmm. so that, that's, that's super important to have that. And that's something that I've really you know, found to be, you know, really great for, for me this year is, is, and through COVID is, is really, I think this, this type of suffering, like what you talk about, Tim, you know, um, and, and stuff that we've been through, like it makes you find your, your people, right. You know, yeah. it's always darkest for the dawn. And, and I, I really think that that's mm-hmm. happened this year. Mm-hmm. Nice Batman reference there. Uh-huh. I love that. That's good. I think the toughest times are though, when you can't find your people, yeah. like if you, you know, if you're in an institution and, and you work with, you know, your daily work, it's with, like some, you know, like-minded people and that they, you know, we, you're all sort of driving the bus in a similar direction or you're not actually, um, you know, competing with each other or have conflicting goals. But I think that, you know, the darkest times are when you really are, you know, working in isolation and sometimes it's, um, you know, it's not intentional and it's not because you're not a team player. It's just whatever you're working on isn't, uh, you know, it's not meant to be collaborative and, and maybe it's difficult. And I think that really that whole appreciative inquiry 
piece there that speaks to that. Like you've, you know, when you first find yourself really delving in, you know, deep, it was Tim, you said up, you know, up to the neck in this sort of situation. And I know I was joking a minute ago about a PhD, but I mean, anybody that's been on that kind of journey, you know, you're six years into it. You've spent a lot of that time on your own. And a lot of that time you feel really vulnerable because you are vulnerable. <laughs> um, and I, I just think that this, this whole philosophy of appreciative inquiry and the more you can live it and embody that whole philosophy is going to be there when you need it because it's no good running to solve that feeling with it, is it? It's just like um, being more prepared. But I, I'm, I'm hooked on the idea of this being the gift, the new employee welcome to the world of, you know, higher ed. Exactly. Hey, are you guys doing any kind of reflective practice? Let me reflect on that. <laughs> no, <laughs> do you know, do you know um, I, I, I really do think that um, I've just started like to do a little bit more reflective practice. I feel, I feel now that things for me have, um, have just started to calm a bit, at, you know, through me understanding, you know, my role at work and, and um, the kids kind of getting into a bit more of a routine because COVID just kind of, you know, messed it all up. So, it, it was about everyone else for the, for the longest time. And I think with reflective practice, you can't force it. You know, it has to come. So, you know, I've started to do different things and different activities where I can really start to reflect, take and take some time, but, and, and talk to people a bit more in deeply rather than just hurrying through things. Um, and, and, and you're, and just, just like what, you know, what we just discussed earlier, you know, it's, it's a practice, it's something you have to keep, keep working on right so i'm working on it yeah mm-hmm. and i would um yeah i would say i'm gonna give a shout out here to katherine mcnaughton like um my my path crossed you know it's too funny because Jeannie's book Jeannie and jones book was on linkedin i'm pretty sure that's where i found it and i think katherine mcnaughton for those of you listening that don't know katherine she's actually used to be the vp academic at bcc is that correct lucy yeah yeah she was much more than that but that was her title yeah oh, okay yeah much more than that yeah. um but she's also a, a professional coach and it's been I think one of the highlights of you know it's like it's an incredible experience I've been working with um Catherine now I think since well, about six months and it is the most incredible self-reflective conversations you know they really are all about me but rather than the thing is that sometimes the all about me conversations in isolation don't serve me very well because I can get into the what's not working and then I can see the pattern of not what's what's not working. And so I think sometimes it's really good to um, have a self-reflective practice because that's what I'm going to say it is with somebody that just as um, Joan and Jeannie said tonight, asking the questions, somebody is asking the questions and that person isn't really so invested in what your responses are. They're just guiding your, you know, your questions and your thinking. So I'm going to say, um, even though I meditated, I learned to meditate transcendental meditation when I was 17 and I practiced it for years and years and years and thought of it as a very self-reflective practice. I now believe that self-reflective needs to be far more of a, a conscious practice, far more, you know, about metacognition really than, um, although, you know, somebody that's probably a much better yogi than I am, they would tell you otherwise. And I will, I will say just quickly about Catherine <laughs> and just before. Tim. Almost Tim. I know, almost. almost. Sorry. I always, I always don't do that. But, um, but I've, um, the conversations that I've, that I've had with Catherine is, um, you know, sometimes they might just be so flighty and so short, but she never, her, her words are never like, 
every, every word is so like precious and meaningful. And she might just say like one quick sentence and it could it be like a chapter. And you're just like, yes, you know. So I think getting somebody, yeah, getting somebody that can that can coach you, that that can understand, that can think think through experience and and use use her words so wisely is is so great. So just mm-hmm. a follow-up shout out to Catherine mm-hmm. Manon. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Okay, Tim, you're up. Wow. Re- reflective practice. Yeah, well, I often I, I, I bounce back and forth, right? And I'm 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 of the mindset that reflective practice should be about awareness, if that makes sense. Like you know, I, I meditate, but that's not reflective practice, right? Um, reflective practice for me is is actually an, a mental exercise, and sometimes I leave it quite drained. Um, and maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> um, I and and so I, you know, I and I'm I'm hit and miss on it too, like most everybody. But I try to I try to write. I try to think. I try to ask myself really hard questions, right? And and I'm a I'm a scenario builder, like I'm a systems thinker, so I'll I'll draw stuff out. Like you've you've seen what I do. It's crazy. I love your <laughs> um, drawings. <laughs> but but the thing that the thing that intrigues me about what you both just said that I don't do a lot of and wonder if I should do more of is reflective practice with another person in the sense of being able to just verbalize it. Right. Um, and, and being able to just get it out of my head. Right. And, uh, it's, it's, I know that when I do that with, with, with Marika, uh, it's always valuable for me because most times she doesn't really have a clue what this, what the context of the actual scenario is but she asked just the right questions to make me go, Oh, I never thought about that. Right. Or more often than not, she says, she asked questions about me and my own heart and my own process. I'm like, ah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you two talk about including an outside source in your reflective practice, that's intriguing to me because I mean, I don't know if a lot of people think this, but I've always thought that reflective practice was just about me going off and, taking a writing pad and, and some earbuds and spend some time thinking and reflecting and planning, but uh, maybe it's more than that. You know what, Tim, I did too until, (laughs) until November. And now like, it's so interesting uh, just even considering that, you know, working with a I guess a life coach. And, and since then I've heard so many people say, Oh yeah, I've worked with a life coach for many years. And I'm just thinking of ways to stay really healthy through a long teaching career when most of the time or in a, you know, instructional designer roles and that it is a service leadership. It's a service you're serving other people. If you're educating, this is really about, you know, other people, but taking care of yourself, I think is, you know, and how do you do that? And I agree with what Lucy said, having your people. I mean, I, you know, I've said this so many times and Chad included here as well, you know, the conversations that we have, I honestly think these are the, they were the highlight of my, when we first, the COVID transition period, I mean, we were meeting once a week at least and having these conversations hugely supportive. So I think that, I think that we do need people and, you know, and we, yeah, we don't need to bear all the burdens. We can, we can make these things easier on ourselves. Now, yeah, and what, what you said to him about your wife, like asking you, like, that's the thing, like, how can you be reflective? You don't sometimes know what questions to ask yourself. You, 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 you need that other perspective to kind of help you re- be able to reflect and re-envision and rethink and re-strategize, you know, because sometimes you just think that, the way you're doing it should be the right way and you get a bit locked in that. And so when mm-hmm. you have the people that can just ask you a couple of questions, the smallest question, it can, it can really shift your thinking, you know? So I, so I do think, I do think having, having that kind of 
you know, framework is important. And when you have your people, they know what questions to ask. You know, been there or they experience it themselves. You know, and so you know that it's definitely it's definitely part of the process. I think. Yeah, yeah that's and, good. I think um, I think we'll end it there, uh-huh. and um, that's a that's a good place to put a stamp on it. And so, for those of you listening, reach out to us through uh, through the through the uh, Praxis Pedagogy website, praxispedagogy.com, or you can get in contact with us through LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, all our information is there. So uh, reach out to us. Tell us what you do for a reflective practice. Is it good? Has it been working? Have you found something better than what you were doing before? Uh, do you think reflective practice is a waste of time? Uh, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and again, big shout out to Gene and Joni for being on the podcast today. And uh, I'm still, I'm going to go cry. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go and read that poem yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to listen to that about a million times. Dedicated yeah. to Lucy. Yeah. And, oh my uh, God. I'm going to have that as my text message announcement. Dedicated to Lucy. Oh, that's hilarious. Good deal. All right. Well, until next time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Carol.